Hey, how many of you all are glad to be in church this weekend? I, I mean, this is... I, when, when elders were praying over in the children's building before this, we pray for all of you, we pray every Sunday morning. Basically, we were just praying that this would be an oasis uh, in the midst of all the strife and turmoil and uncertainty and everything, that this would just be a place of joy, of, of love, of fun, uh, where we'd hear God's words proclaimed, where we would worship God together as a church family, and that would be kind of a break from all the craziness going on. And so far, that's exactly what it's been for me. I, I, I tell you what, I love worship. I just love to worship God, and I love worshiping with you all so much. We are finishing up our series, God's Ways, Best Ways, going through the uh, book of Proverbs. If you guys have been with us, um, you will know that we've talked about basically the law of reaping and sowing. You can't reap something different than you sow. Whatever you sow is what you're going to reap, and that, that concept is all over the book of Proverbs. And so what we're talking about today is he who guards his lips guards his life. And the main thing is, your words chart the course of your life, so choose them carefully. Last week, my dad and my brother and I went on a complete, total history geek tour. It was, it was unashamedly, it was total history geek. We went up to Massachusetts, and we saw Lexington Concord, Boston Concord, basically saw where the country began. Well, one of the things we did, we went to the American Heritage Museum, and it was all this really cool stuff from World War II on. They had tanks and, and I mean, planes, and it was just really, really cool. But there was something in the World War II exhibit that I had never seen before. Even as much of a history geek as I am, I had never seen this stuff. Um, it said, I, I saw actual wartime propaganda posters that were hung up in America, in England, and on all of the places like that, and they all had to do with one thing, keeping your mouth shut. It's interesting. Uh, I took these pictures of a few of the posters. Check this out. This is, the first one is bits of careless talk are pieced together by the enemy. Convoy sails for England tonight. That was one of the things that was posted up all over England and America. The next one um, was this, careless talk got there first. Ooh, and that was, that was the visual thing that wartime uh, uh, England and America saw all the time. The next one was this, we caught hell, someone must have talked. And you can see the imagery that the wartime people were taught. These were their sons. These were their husbands. These were their boyfriends. These were their dads that were getting slaughtered on the battlefield because of careless talk. Look at the imagery. Saying the wrong thing could result in the death of our soldiers. Okay? Somebody talked. Somebody let the enemy know where the troops would be. Inadvertently, a careless word. Letting your guard down for one instant could have disastrous consequences and, and these posters were put up to design to show you the results of careless talk and so I wonder what posters I could put up today uh, showing the results of words maybe a careless word a word said in anger or gossip so JK and I sat down and we came up with our own propaganda posters talking about life in 2021 not in 1945 the first one was this right here um, bits of careless talk Destroyed all our friendships. The next one, unkind words got there first. And the one that's directed towards the church, we caught hell. Members couldn't stop gossiping about each other, looking at an abandoned church. What if we could actually see the results of careless talk like they saw 
in World War II. Guys, the main thing is that the words, your words chart the course of your life. Choose them carefully. And Jesus told us something that's even crazier. He told us that our words aren't the problem. He said this. He said that Matthew, in Matthew 12, 34 through 37, he says, you brood of vipers. That's not a great way to, not very diplomatic, but that's what he was talking about. How can you who are evil say anything good? For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. But I tell you that everyone, get this, underline this in your Bibles, please. I tell you, everyone will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every empty word they've spoken. For by your mouth, whoever words you will be acquitted, by your words you'll be condemned. Jesus says the, the, the mouth, all it is, is, the, is a voice a speaker for the heart. You want to know the state of your heart? You want to know what you really look like? Easy. Look at the words out of your mouth. That's what Jesus is saying. Yeah, you want to know why your words are so full of anger and bitterness and cursing and gossip and strife and insults? Well, it's really easy because your heart is full of anger and cursing and bitterness and gossip and strife and insults. That's what it is. And not only that, but Jesus says we'll have to give an account for every empty word we have spoken. How does that make you feel knowing that, y'all? How does that make you feel? I can see me standing before God. He looks at me, sees who it is, turns to Jesus and says, uh, better clear the docket for a couple weeks because this is going to take a while. See, what Jesus is clearly saying here is we shouldn't try to change words. We allow God to change our hearts, and the words will follow. Hey, but because we're fallen creatures and temptation will always strike, here are five rules for Christian speech that I want to give to you guys and those who are joining us online. Keeping in mind Proverbs 18.6, the lips of fools bring them strife and their mouths invite a beating. All right, so here are the five rules for Christian speech. I want you guys to write these down. I want you to take them home, apply them in your home, apply them in your place of business, apply it when you're online, everything like that. The first one is this. First one is this. Make sure your words build your reputation. One, make sure your words build your reputations. Proverbs 18.7 says this, The mouths of fools are their undoing, and their lips are a snare to their very lives. Wow. Now, we have to remember this, that we, before you say something, you have to take into account that every word you say, you're either building up or tearing down your reputation. Everything, every word you say is either building your reputation or destroying it. All right? You ever wonder why people actually hear the same words but get completely different conclusions. Well, this is why, because your reputation is the filter that people hear your words through. You are not hearing just the words, you're hearing your opinion of that person, okay? Because, li listen to this, your prior words have created a filter in the minds of people that they listen through. And you need to get this because people who don't understand this are always confused about why, why, quote unquote, no one listens and why everyone's being unfair or no one believes me. Okay? People hear your words through the prior words you've said. If you've, always, if you've lied in the past, they hear your words through a liar filter. There's a reason the story, the boy who cried wolf, is so popular in our, in our society. Uh, how does the story begin? Boy's sitting out bored. He's watching sheep. He's bored. So he decides to cry wolf. He shouts wolf. And the townspeople run out with their guns to defend, the, to defend the sheep, and he just has a good laugh at them. And so they get all mad, and they go back. Well, then a real wolf appears, and he cries wolf. Now, he was speaking truth, wasn't he? He would speak every word that he said was true. You'd think the townspeople would discern that truth. No. 
because they listened to his words through the filter that he had created, and that is of a liar, okay? The boy who cried wolf created a filter. In the same way, the words from your mouth create a filter in the minds of the people around you. They hear everything you currently say through the filter of what you previously said, and that, that filter will either be labeled trust or suspicion, if you have done a good job of telling the truth, of building people up, of being accurate, of owning your mistakes, people will listen to you through a trust filter. But if you have been a liar, if you have been a, a, a drama king or a queen, a person who flies off the handle and vents everything to the world, that is, that's the filter that people will listen through and they will write you off. Now, you will establish a, a suspicion filter. Now, mouths of the fools are their undoing, the Bible says, and that is a very accurate observation, how true this proverb is. And instead, listen, and instead of using words to build your reputation, to build the right filter in the minds of people around you, the fool will go around blaming everyone, okay? Not understanding this concept. The fool will just uh, blame everyone for not listening, for being jerks, or, and, and not really in their own words, they create a filter that they destroy themselves through, okay? Make sure that your words are building your reputation. Number two is this. Make sure it does no harm. Make sure it does no harm. Proverbs eleven nine. 9. With their mouths, the godless destroy their neighbors, but through knowledge, the righteous escape. Time to be real. How many of you all have ever, ever said something that you regret? Absolutely. We've spoken in anger or out of an entitled sense of self-righteousness, only to realize we truly hurt someone we didn't intend to hurt. And to justify it, we say things like, oh, I'm just being real. No, you're being a jerk. One of the things I can appreciate about the libertarian political philosophy, uh, I, I'm not talking politics, but one of the things I appreciate about it is the, what's called the non-aggression principle, the NAP. In other words, never start a fight. Uh, never attack. It's a non-aggression principle. In other words, as much as it is possible, live and let live. Mind your own business, allow others to mind theirs. And I wonder if we could apply the non-aggression principle to the way we talk. What if we were to do this? So no insults, no nitpicking, no words that harm, no starting quarrels. See, there was a saying in my neighborhood when I was a kid, don't start nothing, won't be nothing. What that meant, is bad grammar, of course, but what it meant was every fight has to have someone that starts it. Every argument has to have someone that starts it. Well, what if you don't start it? What if you're able to exercise what we talk about here all the time, the fruit of the Spirit, self-control over your mouth and never attack anyone with your words? And that's everyone, y'all. That's your ex-husband, your ex-wife. That's your boss. That's your coworker at work that that screws everything up and creates work for you. That's people of the opposing political party. That's people on social media. Remember, the Bible says, with their mouths, the godless destroy their neighbors, but through knowledge, the righteous escape. And you say, check, I can do that. I can button my lip, and I, can never, I will never start an argument or fight with someone. I get it, but I can still talk about them behind their back. See, looking for loopholes. Well, let's address that as well. You can destroy your neighbor without ever saying a word to them. You can destroy them to someone else. See, the Bible doesn't care how you destroy your neighbor. It says the godless destroys their neighbor, whether it's to their face or behind their back, sin is sin. And what you say about someone to someone else can destroy them. You understand that? All right, you've done it and I've done it and it's ugly. I've had people tell me about others in such a way 
that I'm surprised they haven't been run out of town on a rail. You know, I, I've, by the time this person's finished telling me about how awful this person is, I think they're a member of the Manson family. I, I mean, seriously, by the, I'm surprised they aren't on death row at San Quentin for the, for the crimes that they have committed this person is telling me about. And those color my view of them. I've had to guard against that. And guys, this kind of gets personal to me because it's something I have to deal with as a, as a pastor. As a pastor, one of the things I have to understand is my family goes to church here. And, and if, if I get upset with someone at church or someone has brought a problem to me and, 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 and I get upset about it, I have to be careful not to discuss that around my family. Why? Is it because I want to hide things and be deceitful? No. It's because I don't want my family to have to deal with pastoral issues. I, don't, I want my family to be able to come to worship with people without the baggage of what the mean man or the mean woman said to me. Okay? Uh, what's between me as pastor and them is between us. It's not between my family and them. And I don't want my wife and my children coming in here ha- ha- and, and having their opinion of people changed by what's happened between me and them. Okay? Because it happens. A lot of pastors' families get very jaded against the church members when, because the pastor talked badly about them, brought business home. I'm telling you, it happens. You can destroy your neighbor. And you can destroy the person you're telling that to as well. And remember, what you share about others does impact the people you're sharing with. And let's, let's get the Christianese out of the way, okay? People that we pray for. Oh, we need to pray for them because they are doing da-da-da-da-da-da. You know, no, don't do that. With the mouth, godless destroys the neighbors. And here's the thing. What you're telling may be true. It really may be true. You, you, you may be telling exact information, the right information without changing a word. It may be absolute truth what you're telling about that other person. But it may not be information they need to hear, y'all. It's not their story. It may be none of their business. And you may be inadvertently destroying a friendship between two people by sharing the right information with the wrong person. Okay? With their mouths, the godless destroy their neighbors, how true that is. So the first rule of Christian speech is this. Make sure it's building your reputation. Second, make sure it does no harm. Third, make sure it's your story to tell. Make sure it's your story to tell. I love this proverb, Proverbs 18.8. You, you need to underline it. You need to meditate on it because it is so true. The words of a gossip are like choice morsels. They go down to the inmost parts. In most parts, remember that. I believe it was Eleanor Roosevelt that said this. Great minds discuss ideas. Average minds discuss events. Small minds discuss people. And someone else announced, other people are gossips. I'm merely being informative. Even 3,000 years ago, Solomon observed that people have a desire for news, especially about people they know. And the more scandalous or outrageous it is, the more appealing it is to the human soul. I don't know why that is. It's just the way it is. Here's a saying I want you to commit to memory. This is something I, I live by. This is a proverb I live by. And it's simply this. It's not my story to tell. Not my story to tell. Never violate a, trace plus, a trust placed within you. When it comes to a story that someone shares about someone else, here are two things I want you to do. Here are the two things that are appropriate for God's holy people. Number one, don't believe it. Number two, let it die with you. Okay. Those are my default positions whenever I hear someone about someone. Someone comes up to me and tells me something about you. I don't believe it, and I let it die with me. I, I typically say, hmm, interesting, and I go about my day. And when I go to my grave, that story goes with me. Okay? I want to be a circuit breaker. 
I want to be a circuit breaker. I want to be the one that stops a story. I want to be the one that stops something that is, that is gossip. Uh, and, and Christians need to be circuit breakers. We need to be the last ones to hear the story. It doesn't get beyond us. Okay, Christians need to be circuit breakers, not conductors. See, the problem with gossip, this is the problem, is that we love it. Is that a gossip is, so, is someone who tells you what you already suspected. Remember that. A gossip is someone who tells you what you already suspect, what you're already primed to believe. Right? Two years ago, the media dropped a nuclear bomb on American society. Okay? If you were not alive or you, were, you had your head in the sand, this is what happened. High school boys wearing MAGA hats who were at the National Right to Life rally in D.C. were seen taunting a Native American guy. <clears throat> All right? Um, the media jumped on it. Twitter blue checks retweeted it. People on Facebook jumped in, uh, calling a high school kid Nick Sandman, 16 years old at the time, a racist. News anchor Reza Adlin, Aslan asked if there's a more punchable face, an adult man talking about a teenager. Covenant Catholic was shut down for a few days because of bomb threats and death threats. The families went into hiding. And they were determined that the, the, uh, uh, the media called for these kids to be de-admitted from college, to never get a job. I and mean, they wanted to destroy these people. And then after a few days, the truth came out. Turns out they had really just stood there, having had racist and homophobic slurs yelled at them by another group there. Nick Sandman um, who, who was the, the face of everything, launched lawsuits. And all the people that were so you know, intent on, on sharing the story scrambled to settle, 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 settle. I like the meme that showed a picture of Nick Sandman, meet the new owner of NBC News. <laughs> but why was this fake story so believed? Why? It's because of what the Bible says, that, 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 that gossip goes, is like choice morsels. It goes to the inmost parts. Okay, because this gossip is what folks already wanted to hear. Don't miss this. Okay, think about it. The choice morsels went to the inmost parts. of The people already had an appetite. They already had a stereotype of what a, a kid with a MAGA hat at a pro-life rally would be. Okay, they already had that preconceived in their, in their, in their mind. And when those choice morsels came across their plate, they devoured it. All right, here we're, uh, we know what kind of kids those are. And when a completely false story made up comes across their plate, well, we already had a stereotype primed and it was off to the races. And never seen America lose all sense of critical thinking and discernment. Like scripture said, the gossip went to the inmost parts like choice morsels. Listen, gossip that you want to hear that confirms what you already suspected is what you believe. You want it to be true so desperately, and you have to understand, we have to be self-aware enough as Christians to understand that every one of us has those predispositions. We have our beliefs, we have our stereotypes of people, we have all kinds of things, and when a bad story comes across, it is so easy to believe because that's what we want to believe, you all. And we, we are so vulnerable to this. And we look like fools and we destroy our witness and our credibility when we believe what our already primed souls want to believe. Okay? Make sure it is your story to tell. Make sure because gossip is like choice morsels. We love it. They go down in most parts. The fourth thing is this. 
is to make sure it's the truth, right? Proverbs 26, 28 says this, a lying tongue hates those it hurts, and that flattering mouth works ruin. The definition of truth is this. Y'all want to know the definition of truth? This is the definition. It is that which corresponds to reality. That's what truth is. It is that which corresponds to reality. If it happened, it's true. If it didn't happen, it's, a, it's, it's false. When you speak, are you speaking that which corresponds to reality? Listen to Proverbs 26, 28. It says, a lying tongue hates those it hurts. I want you to start thinking about this, especially young people, but old people too. Okay? The Bible does not necessarily talk about the sin of lying as being just this black and white, do this, don't do this. The sin of lying in the Bible is put in relational terms. Think about this. A lie is not just a sin. It is a breaking of relationship. Look how it says. It says this. It puts it in relational terms. It hates those it hurts. This is the only one that I can really think about, I can find, that, that is relational. To put in relational terms, a lie is not just wrong. It is a hating of the person you're lying to. It is a breaking of relationship. Parents, children, you know, it's not so much just coloring a few facts. It's not so much just leaving out some important information. It is hating those it hurts. It is a relational break. Kids, when, when th- this week, when you're thinking about maybe leaving out some facts to the parents about this kind of thing, realize that it's a relational break, okay? It is all in terms of relationship. It hates so as it hurts. We have to understand this. It's dishonoring to the person you lie to. I, I heard this, and, and, and I try to live by this. A lie tells the opinion you have of the person you're lying to. Wow. You want to know what your opinion of the person is? You find it out when you lie to them. It's a relational break. Make sure it's said, make sure it's the truth. And to go along with that, number five, make sure it's said in love. Ephesians 4.15, uh, Paul writes this and said, Speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. I wonder if we people of Catalyst Christian Church those joining, joining us online can apply this to each other. I've been a part of churches, and I'm sure you have too, and around Christians who say some of the ugliest things while claiming to speak truth. Usually they say, well, the prophet Jeremiah wasn't kind, and neither am I. Truth hurts, things like that. But here's the truth. Truth and love exists on a continuum, okay? I want you to imagine a continuum here, okay? This is, the, this is the extreme of truth, and this is the extreme of love. Got that? People who are all the way over here, and people are all the way here, and everybody exists on, on this continuum here, okay? Now, I want you to watch out for people that are on either extreme. Hear this. I want you to watch out for people, even if it's you, who are on either extreme, people that are all truth or people that are all love, because both are equally dangerous. Beware of people who are so adamant about truth that they have no love, and be equally as concerned about people that are so concerned with love that they have no truth. Both types of people exist. Both types of people are wrong, and I've dealt with both. Both are a nightmare. I dealt with people who were mean and cruel and heartless and uncaring, and they never say an untrue word. I've also dealt with people who are dishonest, flighty, in denial of reality, but they consider themselves loving. 
People on the truth end of the continuum are harsh and judgmental. People on the love end of the continuum make a person as comfortable as possible on the way to hell. People on the truth end of the continuum will beat a person up about their life situation. People on the love end of the continuum will encourage a person to destroy their lives by enabling and encouraging terrible life situations. Both are equally bad. Both are out of balance because one was without love and one is without truth. Sad thing is, both people on either extremes here believe them to be doing God's work, to be the one that is righteous. And they'll shout at people at the end of the other spectrum believing themselves to be more Christ-like. And that's why the Bible says to speak the truth in love. You can't have one without the other. Now, I've tried living at both extremes. I think um, probably when I was younger, I was more on the, to the truth extreme because I think when we're younger and we're immature, we tend to think, see things only our way. We see things as this, uh, more black and white, I guess. Um, and I, and, and um, that didn't work. So I went all the way over to the other extreme to just love, and, and I tried to do what this uh, pop culture told us to do, just, just love people, just love people. Why can't you just love people? And I tried to do that, and that didn't work either, because neither extreme allowed me to do what Jesus told us to do, which was make disciples. I tried speaking truth only to people and didn't make any disciples at all. It was written off as a jerk Tried being only loving to people and didn't make any disciples at all. It was written off as, as um, disingenuous and fake. Neither extreme accomplishes anything in this life. If you're a parent, you try to be only truth, your children won't listen to you because you're not loving. And if you're a parent and you're only love and you have no truth, your children will walk all over you because you're an enabler. All right? Neither extreme accomplishes anything in this life. You live at either extreme You'll be ineffective in accomplishing what God has for us in this world. Remember, remember this. I want to I advocate for all of us at Catalyst Christian Church that we move to the middle where we, have, we do not compromise truth, but we also make sure that we are incredibly loving in the way we speak truth. Okay? That's what we need. Remember, if you live at the truth end, people will write you off as judgmental and harsh. If you live at the love end, people will write you off as disingenuous and fake. We are supposed to treat the, speak the truth in love. So my question is, after these five things, my question for us is this. Question for Christians. Do I spend my time talking about Jesus? That's the question I want to ask you. Romans 10, 14 and 15 says this, how then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. It's not just what we don't say that is commanded by God. It is what we say as well. Is Jesus a topic of regular conversation for you? That's the question. See, when I was in youth ministry, I was around your kids, okay? I was around your kids. Kids are a great, great, great barometer for what's going on in the home. See, adults can fake what's going on in the home. But you can't fake your kids, okay? And I was astounded. I was astounded when I was in youth ministry how 
able teenagers, even middle schoolers, were, to, were able to talk about such a wide variety of, of topics. They were able to talk about literature, books they were reading intelligently. In school, they could talk about movies, talk about sports. They could talk about science. They could talk about all kinds of things very, very fluently on an adult level. But when they, they would look like a deer in the headlights if you asked them to talk about their faith because they obviously had never done it. They had never heard Christian conversation in the home. They never obviously discussed Jesus over the kitchen table or in the car driving to and from school. Never ever had, had they ever talked about a passage of scripture with their parents, and it was very apparent. The question is, do we regularly talk about our faith? Is that a regular uh, uh, conversation among friends and family. I'll invite the band to come on back up. I, w- I want you to ever diminish the importance of casual Christian conversation when it comes uh, in your family and circle of friends. John Patton was a Scottish missionary to the New Hebrides. Uh, he wrote of his early life as a Christian and in a Christian family. His father when John Patton was about six or seven years old, converted to Christianity, became a very, very dedicated follower of Christ. And John Patton wrote this. He said his family, he said, uh, home radically changed after that. He wrote this. Our place of worship, this was in Scotland, was the Reformed Presbyterian Church at Dumfries, four miles from our home. But the truth is that during all those 40 years, my father was only three times prevented from attending the worship of God. Only three times did he miss. Only three Sundays in 40 years did he miss. Each of us, he writes, talking about his siblings, from very early days considered it no penalty, but a great joy to go with our father to the church. For the four miles were a treat to our young spirits, he writes. The company, by the way, was a fresh incitement. A few other faithful men and women, the, uh, uh, sorry, faithful men and women of the best Christian type went to the same church. And when these God-fearing peasants gathered on the way to or from the house of God, we youngsters sometimes had rare glimpses of what Christian talk may be and ought to be. They went to church, he writes this about the, the adults that he went to church with, full of beautiful expectancy of spirit. Their souls were, the, on the, souls were on the outlook for God, and they returned from church, ready and even anxious to exchange ideas as to what they had heard and received of the things of God. And then he writes this. Where did my faith and trust in God come from? The kind that kept me, from go- kept me going after the devastating loss of my wife and newborn son on the mission field. I look back to those saints on the road with me as I walk to and from church, poor beyond imagine, yet rich in everything that mattered, hearing the adults discuss their love of God amongst each other. It was a feast to my ears into my soul. Are we talking about Jesus? Are we doing discipleship in our homes? Do the people around us, do they hear Christian conversation? Do they hear us talking about this Savior named Jesus, 
means so much to us? Do they hear us struggle with the things that they don't understand? Do they hear us persevere through times of doubt, times when when we feel God has forsaken us? Do they hear us talk about that? They should. If you're in scripture and a, a passage pops out to you, do they hear you discuss it about the beauty of God's word, what it means to you, how to apply it? Believe me, here's John Patton, a missionary looking 40 years prior and when his wife and newborn son died in a tragic accident, what kept him going was the talk he heard as a young boy about Christian, uh, Christian people discussing their love of God. Don't ever, ever dismiss or discount the power of Christian conversation. Your words, people, will chart the course of your life, so choose them carefully. Your words may also chart the course of someone else's eternity. Speak of Christ willingly, often, and courageously.